0: Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive.
1: Hi, and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. Today, we're talking about how to grow your business by improving your public speaking skills. I'm Rachel Marshall, one of your hosts, and Bruce Weiner is with me as well today as a, one of our co-hosts. Good morning, Bruce.
0: Good morning, Rachel. Uh, pub, or I think uh, I actually looked at Joe's uh, website, and it's not just public speaking, but speaking skills, which I think is uh, something that uh, we are evaluated on every day. And so I'm going to try to mind my piece and cues today and, and give an outstanding performance as we have a great value <laughs> today.
1: <laughs> Excellent. Well, what a great lead-in. And Joe Yazbeck is with us today here. He's a master speaker and coach. And so welcome, Joe.
2: Well, thank you. I'm I'm really happy to be on this podcast. Thank you.
1: Excellent. Well, we are looking forward to a great conversation. So let's set the stage for a moment. As you in business are building your business, part of that is working with people and building relationships. And you want to have this impact through those relationships. You want to meet needs and demonstrate and provide value. Now, there's kind of two parts of this. There's doing the work of your business as a business owner. And there's also this other side of marketing to bring in more business and to grow and scale. And regardless of how you go about doing that, both require tremendous communication. And so this is a skill that we cannot outsource. We can't Avoid, we can't sidestep. And whether it's public speaking from a stage or whether it's podcasting like we're doing today, or whether it's communicating one on one with clients or in video format or however you communicate, public speaking or speaking in general is this communication skill that we absolutely need to develop as leaders so we can grow our business and reach more people. So today we're going to talk about that. Now, I want to zoom out real quickly. Where does this fit in the cash flow system? Well, you first have the foundation to keep more of the money you make. Then next, you're protecting your money. And finally, you're increasing and making more. So speaking and communication skills is part of your mindset in stage one, and it's also part of your unique ability investing in your legacy creation in stage three. It's part of your personal and professional development that make you a more successful, effective, and impactful person and helps you build a self-sustaining business through relationships and teams. So we brought Joe onto the show today to talk about how to master speaking, an answer for you. How do I get past that fear of speaking and public speaking? How do I, or I know I have this potential to be a much greater speaker than I am. And where do I start? How do I improve my speaking to grow my business? What do I need to include in a successful presentation? And what are the most important things I can do right away to improve my impact as a speaker? So, here's a little bit more about Joe. Joe's a public speaking and leadership trainer. He's a best selling author. He's also the president of Prestige Leadership Advisors and master speaker and coach. He's going to tell you more about the mission of Prestige Leadership Advisors as we go throughout this conversation, but he's a highly sought after leadership and communications coach. And he has leaders from all around the world, from government and business leaders that seek his counsel to work through public relations or launching a brand, strategic direction, media training, speaking to government committees, winning political campaigns, and creating successful exit strategies. So there's a lot of aspects that Joe is very familiar with working in. So as we jump into this interview today, I'm really excited to bring his knowledge and framework to you to help you improve in your business. So Joe, tell us a little bit about who you were before you started Prestige Leadership Advisors.
2: I was a, a growing boy in a very lively, animated family. <laughs> and uh, I have to tell you, uh, a lot of communication occurred in my family growing up. I was the only son. I had four sisters. We had seven in our family. And, and uh, uh, on, on, on Sundays, the entire neighborhood would come over to the aspects uh, and spend the day and we had a table that would seat 30 people and it was very inclusive and We communicated while we ate we ate we talked we talked we ate and wow. I actually thought that the neighborhood were my family They were part of my family. That's how inclusive my family was and so communication to me was sort of a natural seed that was planted early on and and uh, mm. You know you're you're inspired by that when you look, and then you go out in the world and you realize not all families are like that. Not all businesses are really open and vulnerable or expressive and and inclusive as they should be. And uh, so I had my my prior training, Rachel, in the performing arts. Uh, I was uh, an actor. Uh, I sing professionally still. I've had many bands. I've been on stage okay. often. And uh, I've nice. recorded albums. I've, I have opened a company about 15 years ago uh, to, to service artists, artist development, music production, promotion, marketing. I got to understand what it meant to really uh, own an audience, own a room, and not just as a performing artist but also as a talent developer. And then I transitioned all those skills into business where they were sorely needed, and I created a leadership advisory which – uh, whose training and workshops and individual coaching, et cetera provides uh, what professionals need to become a widely recognized and highly respected and credible leader or authority in the industry that they're representing. Mm, excellent. and that that is communication skill training. that purpose.
1: That's excellent. And I heard you share how you kind of discovered that this was your life's work and something about singing, performing, um, for friends and family. I think you were on, on top of the table. Um, can you share that story? That was just (laughs) very memorable.
2: (laughs) Oh my goodness. You must've been listening to my, my, some of my, uh, my, um, uh, expressions on earlier recordings. I don't know. Uh, but I was, I, I, I was five years old And we had uh, an event at our home, which was a unique event. Everyone was dressed in black, and they were sad. And it was a funeral. And I I was not happy that people were not happy. I said, why is everybody frowning? And I looked at my mother. I looked up at her, and I said, people are frowning. I don't like that. Or they're not. What's the matter with everybody? And she said, Joey, get up on that table and, and, and do that song and dance you like. And it was at that time, this was the late This was the late 50s. And this was a uh, uh, time when doo-wop was very, very big. And uh, it was Little Darling by the Diamonds. And so I had that knee-jerk, Elvis Presley knee-jerk going, and I'm singing. And pretty soon I had people swaying and clapping and smiling. And I thought to myself, I want to do this. This is for me. So I, I, I was just realizing how much of an impact that one person can make in front of a lot of people whether you're educating or entertaining. And it wasn't long after that that I actually saw a telecast. This was 7 years old I think, maybe not long after that. My father my father shows me a telecast of Billy Graham talking to 50,000 people in a stadium with about 10 microphones in his face and I'm looking at him going, one man is talking to all those people and they are riveted on him. Wow. So another moment of inspiration. I thought I never forgot that.
1: Hmm.
2: That's influence. One man whose communication is influencing so many people. And now, now we can influence millions and not have to go on a stage. You see? The hmm. platform is virtual, the platform is digital. So there's much so many more reasons to communicate, to create a positive influence.
1: That's excellent. And I love how you brought out several elements there, but one being the messaging to many people and another about being this positive influence. And so I think those are probably themes that we'll see throughout your story and everything that you communicate and how you're bringing that, that to people.
2: Well, uh, to tell you the truth, those me- the messaging has to come from the person himself or herself. It has to be embedded in who they are. It can't be something synthetic. In my book, No Fear Speaking, that chapter on authentic versus synthetic speaking will tell you that there really isn't any added to anything. You know, it's who you are needs to show up. People will be more inclined to respect you and be attracted to your message because you are showing up delivering it. And all of the qualities that make up who you are. I've seen too many Um, false approaches to training speakers where they're having to be involved in doing something synthetic or made up of stereotypical. When really my coaching, when I coach a leader, uh, I coach them with the idea of not changing them. I coach them with the idea of removing what doesn't belong there. And then they show up like diamonds shining. And this is what I want speakers and leaders. I want them shining like diamonds in front of their staff You know, in front of an association, in front of their executive peers, uh, a board meeting, they're showing up and they're 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 happy because they don't have to be anything but themselves.
0: Joe, that's that's an awesome uh, thing to release uh, kind of uh, people's fears, because, you know, when you're talking about leadership, then the I from what you just said, I believe there's several different types of leaders then and how they communicate. It's not just the rah-rah leader. It's not it's not somebody that's uh oh. only a strong person. It can be somebody that's very empathetic. So there's gotta, yes. be, there's gotta be a variety of leaders, and that's that's a freeing thought, then, that people don't have to be kind of that right. iron-fisted leader.
2: Yeah, that's 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 not leadership is the outcome of what you're doing. If if you've created an outcome or you've got people Rallying to some purposeful objective, and they're getting it done. That's leadership. I, I don't care if you're a uh, you're nerd like Coke bottle glasses and and you're speaking. Uh, uh, if you're moving people, you're inspiring people to do things uh, in a positive, active way. That's leadership, and they're becoming better people, and and they're becoming leaders under you. Now they're not no longer under you, they're with you. Yeah, absolutely. You see? And, yeah, uh, leadership has some strange connotations because of what we've seen, whether through movies or television or what have you. But, um, honestly, it's it is a communication ability and skill, particularly in front of an audience, by the way, to not go raw raw, I'm not really in favor of supporting cheerleader-type speakers. Because mm-hmm. people walk out of that audience and they really don't have tools they can work with thereafter. They feel better. It's instant gratification. Wow, wasn't that awesome? But did I learn anything? Can I apply anything? And will I get results
0: right now? That's different. Oh, that's
1: absolutely true. Oh, you say, yeah. I've
0: actually done. A, a been involved with a, quite a few coaching programs over my career. And, and that is the one type of what you just said where people have gotten us up on stage and tried to, and tried to instill this, you know, presence by, uh, teaching you little quirky things about projection and body language and this and that. And, and, and I felt, un- <laughs> I felt uncomfortable as heck, you know, during that whole process. And Rachel, Rachel has, has seen me on several occasions in a, in a conference type speaking situation. Mm-hmm. And so, so she understands my style, but I, I thought the entire time is all you're doing is, because I, I tend to, and although I'm talking a lot right now, I tend to stay in the background and observe. And, and the, so the whole time they're doing this, I'm thinking you're trying to uh, stamp people to do the same thing, but every person's personality is different. Yeah, you, know, you know my my workshops, Bruce. You made a very very good point there. My
2: workshops are very interactive, and and they I, I coach my audiences, and change takes place when I coach them in front of the in in short order, in a very short period of time. I had the um, top speaker promoter in Russia when I did my tours. I did several global tours. One of them in Russia. And he was invited to come hear me speak for a few minutes. He wanted to he was invited by my organizer to he checks out speakers this way. And it was a full day. It was a VIP uh, event for a full day with business owners. He came and he stayed the whole day. Wow, he came up He came up to me afterwards and he said, "I've never seen anybody do what you do." I said, "What's that?" He goes, "You're coaching people. you're bringing them up." And within 10 or 15 minutes, you can visibly see their stage fright disappear. Mm -hmm. And you got them to own a lot more of the room, and they're more comfortable. And everybody's raising their hand wanting to come up now.
1: Oh, that's awesome.
2: Where before they were hesitant. And I said to myself, well, that's what workshops are. We're not there to give you theory. We're not there to tell you our story and make you feel good about us as speakers. You know, it's not about me. It's about the audience going through the necessary improved change to be a better person, be a better executive, be a better communicator, be a better husband, be a better wife because you're communicating better. How did this experience change you? You're changed now. Now go out and take these tools that you've just sharpened the the knives of and use them. Here's your homework assignment, everybody. Now they got action happening. Mm-hmm. People love action. Oh, yes. You put put an audience in action, you got an audience that are like just willing as hell, you know?
1: So Joe, let's, so what is that fear then? Because I think it's this very common, almost universal thing that somehow there's maybe this feeling of either no one's going to listen to me or who am I to talk or feeling somehow this what if nobody wants to hear what I am about to say, or it's not meaningful to them? What what is that fear? Where would you say that root of the fear of speaking comes from that causes us then to be inauthentic and ineffective?
2: All right, I'm going to be very layman about this. Go ahead. Okay, if I had if I had if I was given a choice to uh, lose something important or change the engine in my car. I'd be afraid to change the engine in my car because mm-hmm. I don't know how. Right? I'm not prepared. I don't have the experience of changing the engine in my car.
1: Right.
2: You know, I mean, I could probably change the oil in my car, but I probably have some trepidation about it. Whether I'm doing it right in the right sequence, it's mm-hmm. know-how. Well, just because you're standing up in front of an audience doesn't mean that you're going to do it with confidence and bravura unless you have
0: Mm-hmm. The know-how,
2: unless you're trained and you're prepared and you're organized, that's a good chunk of the battle right there. Are you prepared? Do you know how to create a structure of a presentation? Do you know what the ingredients are of a successful presentation? Uh, Those—that's the structure. I—I I, I delegate the first part of three parts of my book to that, and there are a number of chapters in that first part that tell you how to structure correctly any presentation.
1: Well, let's go. Let's go you into see? that then. So if if having sure. the know-how is the answer to solving the fear, and honestly, I forgot to mention this part in the beginning, but originally I came across you about two weeks, I think it was about two weeks before a big presentation that if our audience has been listening and following along, Bruce and I went up to New York City and spoke, and it was a big deal for us in our business and with The Money Advantage. And I came across, mm. Joe, your podcast, it was on... um Jay Massey's show, Cashflow Diaries. And as I was right. driving, I am writing down notes on a napkin on my steering wheel while I'm at a stoplight. And then the car is going and I'm thinking, <laughs> I need to listen to this again. And again, and I actually reached out to you and talked with you. But part of that was you leading through this idea of how do we get past the fear? How do we actually make sure this is successful in advance? And that was really valuable as you and I had A couple of personal conversations, even before we went up to New York City. So, share with us what is that? What is that preparation and structure?
2: First of all, you have to be willing to improve. Mm -hmm. There's no willingness; you're not going to even have an opportunity to gain the know-how. See, there's three things. There's three things that really embrace education of any nature: the willingness to learn knowing you have the ability and most people have the ability and the talent. I mean, we're inherent. If you don't have the willingness, you're not going to gain the third, which is know-how you can, you bring in people bring in their willingness and their ability to me. I work with the know-how here's the know-how now preparation and organization is one part of it, but I have to tell you, it's a willingness to have people in front of you. It's the willingness to experience and I say this as 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 as, um, as basic as I can tell you. How many bodies could you have sitting in chairs in front of you without getting disturbed? Now let's look at it. What is public speaking? It's me looking at you, looking at me. hmm <laughs> <laughs> How simple is that? I'm looking at you, looking back at me. I don't even. I don't have to say a word yet. Am I willing? Can I experience that? Now that's a drill in itself. That's a, that's an exercise just to look at people. So I tell my 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 clients, go well, where there's a group where there's a lot of people. It could be a a mall at a holiday time. It could be in a, at a theater where it's just about the screen is just about is is, is uh, the, the movie's not started yet, and you're standing there. In front, on the side, looking up at the audience while they're looking at the commercials or the trailers on the screen. Mm-hmm. And you're just looking at that audience. Now, I'll give you an example of this. When I was coaching in Hollywood, this was 20-some years ago. My God, it's almost 30 years ago now. Wow.
1: I'm glad that you're having uh, fun and living your birth. Yeah, right? I, I,
2: took, I, took, I took the five worst stage fright people in my studio and I brought them down to the Cinerama theater, which is 180 degree screen, one of the largest theaters in the United States on Sunset Boulevard, I got permission from the box office to let me in between shows. So I brought them in like 20 minutes, 25 minutes between shows. So I, I had them stand in the aisle, each aisle, there were like four or five aisles there. And with their backs to the screen, facing people as they walked in to see the next show. And their, their instruction was, do nothing, say nothing, just be there and look at people while they're coming in. And I swear, within minutes, you can see drips of sweat, beads of sweat from their fingertips. You saw them swaying. They were even aware they were swaying a little bit. Twitches. I mean, these were all reactions of fear and the inability to face comfortably people in front of them. Hmm. Right? One person would come up to me and, Say, what happens if the guy with the flashlight comes up and says, what are you doing here? I said, well, tell him the truth. Nothing. (laughs) You're doing nothing. Right. Okay? All right. Is there a law against being somewhere? Is there a law against appearing? You're appearing. (laughs) You see? (laughs) You you see these billboards, right? Now appearing. Right? Or, you know, these um, marquees. It's, It's a very... Traumatic thing for people to appear they get used to it. The more you appear the easier it is after 15 minutes you can see noticeably these people they weren't as rocky panicky Their stage fright reduced considerably one person goes. Oh my god. There's people in front of me (laughs) Finally increased his awareness because he was blocking it out that there's people in front of him and it was okay but these are these are some of the reasons why there's fear cuz what do we do with fear? We what are we afraid of? We get in and we we chomp at it bit by bit until we've conquered it. And so you've got to get in front of an audience of any kind. You have got to get yourself in front of people no matter where they are. You know, stand somewhere where there's lots of people and look them over. You know, be willing to have an experience a group in front of you. I tell people when they're like uh, uh, CEOs of companies, bring your staff together as often as you can, and have a meeting for ten or fifteen minutes about a particular subject, about a policy, about a principle, and get yourself in front of them so that you're having a conversation with your audience, like it's a one-on-one. And that's another major principle.
1: I, I was just going to tell- pull that out. That's that's a golden nugget right there. Uh- It's like no matter how many people there are, you're having a conversation Mm one-on-one. That was powerful. Well,
2: you can't really talk to a group. You ever hear people talking to groups? Mm -hmm. They talk like this. Ladies and gentlemen, you're being talked (laughs) at. That's the
1: problem. Who wants
2: who wants wants to listen to a bombastic boob? (laughs) Right? Because nobody's gonna listen. And here's an example. Uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt did not do that. He talked to you like you were a person. And he had his famous fireside chats during World War II. And all you had was radio at that time. And people peeled their ears to that radio. And everybody in the family surrounded, just get the news of the war and how things were going. And he talked to them like it was grandpa. And you were sitting on grandpa's lap. That's how intimate and personal it was. Mm -hmm. And that's what I tell speakers to do. You have to just basically... If you've got five thousand people in an audience, talk to one person, and every single one of them will get the feeling like you're talking to them individually. Mm-hmm.
0: Joe, Joe, that's one-on-one. You, Joe, you just opened my eyes because one of the techniques that I've always used in public speaking or speaking to groups is to actually pull out a few people in the in the group and actually make comments to you know directly to them. Um, and I always felt like it, w- it made it more personal and it made it obviously more comfortable for me, too. Yeah, it does. And you can even go
2: further by just making that audience part and being participants, not spectators. The worst thing in the world is spectatorism in an audience. Get them involved. I'm, I'm always asking rhetorical questions. You know, incite thought Incite them, get them to look at things Wake them up You know, you want to wake people up Particularly in the beginning It's called an attention getting opening It's chapter 4 of my book Get them to wake up They're not even there yet They're still having an argument with their spouse When they left the house or something Who knows Or they're they're, they're bitching about the guy Who almost ran them off the road On their way to the event <laughs> All right? They're not quite there so your 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 rhetorical question, like you know, what what would it be like if, or did you know, kind of questions, mm-hmm. you know, or you know, how many how many more children will need to die before we realize that something needs to be done about this? And while you've got a a graphic up on the screen on your PowerPoint, that wakes them up.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You see, and I think. Audiences are there to not just learn; they're there to be, not just, I think, instigated. Okay, we've got we've got to wake them up. And if we're going to create a call to action at the end of any presentation, we have to wake them up if they're not motivated to commit to anything.
0: Mm-hmm. What about I, Joe? Yeah. What about I, I? Oftentimes, find myself using a technique, and I don't know who taught me this or what. I, I say I try to speak to the little person in their head. Uh, is that similar to what you're talking about where uh, you're getting them to think? Because I'll say things like, now, if several of you out there today are wondering even, why should, you, why should I be listening to this person? What does he have to do? Okay. Talk? Now, let me, let me do
2: a little, if you don't mind, Bruce. I, would, I wouldn't use the word some of you out there. Okay. I would be very direct and say, you may be thinking. Okay. Okay. Because you want everybody to look at that. And if it's if it's real to them, it's real. If it's not, it's not. Not everybody is going to respond to it. Makes sense. But you, the word you is very powerful. What are you going to do about this? How are you going to take responsibility for the next step? Are you going to make a decision or not? Or are you going to sit on the fence? See, that's leadership. Mm. See, I love I love putting these two words together: leadership, communications. And I'm I'm branding a new I'm writing a book right now on leadership, and uh, I'll just—I'll just—I'll re- just tell you what this is. It's basically LQC, leadership quality communications. What does a leader communicate like? I, I want to impact you. You see, I want you to be moved by this. I'm not going to say one would feel that one needs to do something if one just takes the step. <laughs> <Come on. laughs>
1: Ambiguous. I will. Wa- yeah. Look, look,
2: look, look, look. I want to be in your face, man. I'm in your face and you are enjoying the trip. You're like, oh, wow, somebody is really impacting me. What is impact? This is what we do as leaders. And as speakers, we better impact people. Otherwise, we're not leading them. We want to impact them in a way that they wake up and they go, damn, he's talking about me. They're saying this to themselves. Shoot! I better do something about this. Mm-hmm. That's when you're motivating people for the, for, you know, in real, in reality. I'll I, I tell you an example of this, and I, I use this example of my book, but it's the best example I can give you of how to create impact. Every film segment of Schindler's List impinged on me. It's called an impingement. It struck a nerve. I mean, there, there wasn't a minute that went by that didn't strike a nerve with me. Every impinging striking of a nerve and every accumulation of those impingements led to an impact. I walked out of that theater and for about probably two weeks after that, I was still impacted by the movie. Hmm. You're familiar with Schindler's List, right? Mm-hmm. That that movie de- described the Holocaust like I've never seen it. It was vivid, descriptive. I'm not saying you want to... Overwhelm people or kill them with morose, disgusting, true things. But what you're trying to do with an audience and as a leader is not only impinge on them that way, so they're looking at the present problem, but you're also giving them a sense of hope and 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 help at the end of it, at the call to action. So they realize he's offering a solution to a problem here. This is this is why it's so necessary for speakers. For example, like um, uh, owners of companies who, or 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 uh, chief marketing officers, or those people that go out in the field and deliver deliver workshops and seminars. Why it's so important to convert those attendees into clients, and the importance of doing that is you're moving them to a call to action to take the next step and offer them your solution. I've had many of my clients that have that go out and give presentations now with the idea of making appointments. You see, mm-hmm. like financial services people or lawyers that would like to get more clients or technologists that want to be able to to attract uh, fund you know funders or lenders or investors to their projects. How does a speaker move an audience and then move them to make an appointment with you so that they in turn become a client? See that's leadership right there. That's speaking to get more business to increase revenue and expand your business
1: so let's with more talk, clientele. Let's talk about that for a second, because I'm not sure maybe we're jumping ahead too much and you can come back to this if you'd like, but oh, sure. you talk about this in your book and I believe that's the problem solution scale. Is that right?
2: Yep. That's right. Can
1: you just walk us through that?
2: Absolutely. You know, before you get anyone to reach for help, they have to be aware of what the problem is. And as a speaker, You're making them aware of what the problem is. You can do this on a one to two minute commercial. Here's the problem. There's the problem you're facing. You're not getting enough clients. You know, you're not, your revenues are substandard. You're not getting the quality of clients you want. Okay. How does this affect you? The next step is the pain of the problem. That's the second. How does this affect you? You know, this has you worried every day. You know, you're going about spending more money with less Result and it's financially strapping you Right. The next step is the consequences if you do nothing What's going to happen if you do nothing? well Pretty soon you're looking at your statistics and they're dropping 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 and you're not getting enough leeway into creating demand for your product Um, You got to do something because you're going to go out of business And then you're going to be looking for a job and then you're on the hamster wheel again. You see? So you get people to be aware of the, the consequence or the ripple effect if they should do nothing or take no action. The step, the next step is what's the benefit of taking action? Enlighten those, the audience on your solution. Give them the reasons why this should make an improvement or a change. Then the light bulb goes off. The light bulb goes off. You give them examples of how you would not necessarily go into detail, but why and the what of it. Don't get in too much of the how, because the how you want them to come see you for. You see? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you tell them, here's my call to action. Um, I want to offer you a free assessment or evaluation uh, so that I can take a look at what's causing this. And then I can go in and we can come up with a program to turn it around for you. Uh, that that would be something on the order of a consultant or a coach uh, or a, a mentor of some nature uh, walking into a, a group of 20 people and then, you know, a half hour of that problem solution scale, bringing them up from the problem, the pain of the problem, the consequences, should they take no action? That's a really key one, by the way. Mm-hmm. That gets people to see that if they do nothing, it will get worse. And you want them afraid of something getting worse if they don't take action. Now they want to know, how should I take action? Now you're giving them your solution and your, the benefits and the value you're offering, you say, and then you move them into the call to action. And that call to action is always an instruction. It's an instruction to tell them what to do next and what they can do about it. Something can be done about it. That's the problem solution scale. You can move an audience, An entire audience up to that scale and have them reach to the next step. You know, every book should have a call to action. Uh, I have a call to action. I have two chapters that are call to action chapters at the end of my book. It's called Next Action Steps and Further Study. And by the time they read that book, they want more. And so I have people reaching into my company wanting either one-on-one coaching or finding out when are the next workshops they can attend.
1: You know, what's really interesting about everything that you're sharing, and I'm hearing this theme in everything that's been effective, that when you're communicating, whether it's through the marketing or through something that you're in front of an actual audience, you said this earlier in the conversation, you said it has to be about them. It's not about you and what you want to say. It's about what the audience needs. I think you use this phrase of representing your audience.
2: You have to be very audience focused. And um, uh, I I refer to this as part of the very very first chapter of my book is the APP. Know your audience. That's A. Know your purpose of why you're there. What are you doing? How are you helping them when you're there? That's the purpose. And then what's the product of your presentation? What What is the outcome? What is that presentation resulting in? But the audience is number one. Mm-hmm. It's not about you. It's not. You have to be so prepared to deliver what that audience needs and wants. You have to know what are the problems they're facing. You have to know what are the effect of in their business or in the world. You see? And you want to be giving examples that they can relate to. Otherwise, you're going to disconnect from that audience. You mm-hmm. see? You want to parallel the mind of that audience so well that they feel like, man, that guy's a fly on the wall in my office. Right you know, because your examples are relatable, your stories, you want to tell stories that they can relate to. And you're building that credibility that way. Look, I'll tell you, um, there's three connections. I learned this in the entertainment industry. And I, I keep this as a, an axiom. Okay, it's a law. When you're when you're connecting with anyone, even right now, as we're speaking, number one, the fur- there's three connections. Number one, you must be connected to your own message, much like a singer is connected to the lyrics of a song. The audience will never be moved by that song, that singer, the, song, the, the singer's performance, unless that that singer is connected to the emotion of that the lyrics of that song and sending it outward. So mm-hmm. it's speaker to message, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: The next connection is speaker to audience. You have to like your audience, you have to admire them. You have to find something about your audience that you have affinity for, that you're really interested in. You wanna truly feel that you wanna help them. That's a connection there, they pick that up. Number three is the connection, the message connected to your audience. You cannot connect the message to your audience unless you're connected to the message, and unless you yourself are connected to the audience, those three. And th- that's the key to, to audiences. And, you know, there, there is a very simple uh, drill that I use, it's an exercise. Uh, I have a, a speaker that will have nobody sitting in chairs with 30 seats in front of them in my training center. And I ask that speaker to put an audience in those seats. And he is now creating the audience. It's not, see, it's coming from him or her. It's coming from the speaker, that rush of affinity and admiration. It's not the fact that you have somebody sitting there. The fact that you have somebody sitting there is, of course, an added bonus because you're looking at someone and you're looking at something to admire. But you can actually, it's a creative process that you can actually create an audience in front of you. Like I have an audience I'm creating in front of me and it's not just Mm -hmm. Rachel and Bruce You know, I have Mm -hmm. I have an audience in front of me right now and I put them there and I'm talking to them right now You see it's much Mm -hmm. like you go and I learned this when I used to record and I take a songwriter musician into the recording studio And they go to this isolation booth. Isn't that a great word? Okay, (laughs) an isolation Mm -hmm. booth and they've got wires and headphones, and they, the, the, the controller was talking to them, and ha- they have to feel comfortable emoting the lyrics of a song. So I say, who's this song about? I find out who the song is about. Put that person right up across the room on that door. It's probably six feet to the door, okay? Mm-hmm. There it is. And there, just put that person right there and sing to that person. And a rush of emotion, all of a sudden, there's a different song. You see? Oh, I love that. You see? It's what happens when you see a, st- a singer up on stage, and they're looking up. They're not looking at the audience. They're looking up. And they're looking at the person they're singing to. And everybody in that audience is connected to that connection to that person. They're like completely genned into that connection that singer has to, the, to wherever he's looking up they get the sense of that. It's amazing, isn't it? It's a very creative process.
1: I love that. And it has everything to do with, I mean, we do create with the way that we think and the way that we perceive and what we choose to feel about something. And I think you're uh, taking that even to a very tangible level and saying, well, this impacts our communication so so tremendously. And it's not just a love for our product. It's not just a love for the audience only. It's connecting all three of those parts, me to the message and connecting the speaker then to the audience and the message to the audience. It's just a beautiful way of bringing all those ties together where instead of saying, well, I'm in front of this audience and I have to figure out what to do. It's not that freeze frame fear moment. It's saying, how do I connect deeply to this audience and to the message and then allow the two the message in the audience to resonate with each other
2: well said, Rachel well said I mean that's how really great leaders communicate you know, think about the great leaders mm-hmm. you know I mean look at oh, the planet you know from you had you had the Kennedys to the Reagans to the Mandelas to the Gandhis, you know I mean you had you have so many people that have made changes in the world they were sitting up there pouncing and throwing shoes and, I mean, it was, but, you know, it was, it was real.
1: Oh, that's it awesome. It was real.
2: They, they, they really want, you get a sense they really intend to help
1: mm-hmm.
2: and, and to inspire and all of that. That's real leadership communications. Indeed. And
1: I think it's just interesting kind of tying back to something that you said at the beginning that this isn't something that you have to always be a certain way, or you have to have this certain um Uh, format or script that you're, you need to follow in order to make that happen. But it's really that genuine authenticity that looks different from person to person.
2: Yes. And that is one of the ways, if we go back a little bit to conquer fear, do not memorize a presentation. Mm -hmm. It's going to kill you. I, I do not train via script. I am completely unscripted with my speakers. I want them unscripted which means know what you're going to say next. It's okay to have a command card. I call it a command card. It tells you what you're going to say next. You know what you're going to say next, then talk about what you know. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you're having to think. And thinking is a a destroyer in public speaking. When you're thinking, you're looking inwards.
1: Wow, oh, that's powerful. Thinking is looking inwards. So that's looking at myself instead of looking at my message or at the audience
2: exactly exactly oh,
1: wow.
2: and when you're introverted thinking is introverted and when you're introverted you're not creating space you want to create space because you want your audience you want to extend your space way out so you're looking way out and you want your audience secluded in that space you see um. so ex- an extroverted personality is natural expressive effortless and looking and looking is key, because you're looking at your audience. Can you imagine having a conversation one-on-one with somebody and you're memorizing what to say? What would that What would that feel like to the person you're talking to?
1: Very, very uh, non-impactful and exactly disingenuous. Let's just say that much.
2: Disconnected. Uh-huh. <laughs> exactly. Wow. That's key. You know, you walk out and you extend space. I used to tell my speakers, I said, look, um, somebody is waiting for one of these attendees in the parking lot out front, right? Right outside the building, probably about 100 yards or maybe 50 yards from the last row of your audience. I want you to speak to that guy, the husband waiting for his wife in the car until the event's over. Wow. (laughs) Because the speaker just extended his space way out there. You see? And it's it's the difference between when a person walks into a room and adds to the room as opposed to somebody who takes away from the room because their space is contracted. Hmm. They're like they walk in with looking introverted and kind of embarrassed. And I say to speakers, the first thing you do before your audience arrives, walk into your space and look at everything. Look at everything, shapes, colors, sizes, textures, everything. So you're looking. You see, mm-hmm. be prepared to know what you're going to say next. Like one or two words that tell you it's time to talk about this. You look at it, you put it down, you go talk about it. you got five minutes to talk about it. What am I going to talk about next? And there are most of my speakers know their presentations so well, they don't need command cards. You see? Mm-hmm. So I think it's, I think it keeps you always alive, interested, free in front of your audience because that's, that's that's what you want your audience to experience, right? Because your messages are going to hit home and it's going to make a difference in what you're saying, not just how you say it. You know, I could say something with lots of bravura enthusiasm and say something completely meaningless
1: mm-hmm. and it
2: doesn't mean anything. But if I connected that message with a tremendous amount of passion and purpose and emotion, it's going to light them up.
1: I love that. I think. I think the first thing that people normally think of to conquer the fear is I'm going to be more prepared by being more scripted and more, um, oh. and more mechanical and more memorizing. And again, you're saying that's the complete opposite because you're you're thinking, you're not connecting with yourself and your audience and your message. This is just yeah, and that's powerful.
2: A, yeah, te- teleprompters are sometimes. Oh, the, 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 there's a. Per- <laughs> I mean, come on. I, have you ever seen ever seen? I call it death by PowerPoint. Uh-huh. People are reading off their PowerPoints while they're speaking. Mm-hmm. And they're looking at the PowerPoint and reading it. I said, why the hell are you here? <laughs> Send me the PowerPoint so I don't have to take the time to come in and listen to a speaker reading a PowerPoint that I can read better than he is.
1: <laughs> right. Right. Uh,
2: <laughs>
1: that's interesting. And yeah. I know for a fact that what you're saying is true because I think no matter who and what personality you have, I think the most difficult recording of anything in all time is trying to be scripted and following a teleprompter or a script or something memorized. It's completely inauthentic and comes across wrong. So,
2: yeah, I, I, it's true. I find the best way to train people who have a hard time with that—they'll come into my training center, and I will record, video record, an interview with me and them. And I'll have them in an interview. They'll forget the camera's even rolling. And they just come alive because I'm ans- they're having a conversation with me. They're answering questions, and it's a live conversation. And sometimes that works really, really well, far better than sometimes looking into the camera. And I have a lot of my clients that I will create a show for them, right? I call it leaders taking action. On this segment, we have holistic... Doctor, such and such, leader in this holistic industry, blah 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 blah, and we're having a conversation, and the audience is dropping in. That's a that's an easier step
0: than it would be to have them confront a camera continuously for say twenty minutes. Joe, I've seen this in um, uh, podcasters that do Facebook Live, so oh. so they'll <laughs> so they'll do, fa- you know, they'll have Facebook Live on <laughs> talking to the person they're not actually in their podcast. And then they say, okay, we're going to go to the podcast. And then the person's, the person's persona actually changes when they're <laughs> in the podcast. And then they go to break. Of course, the Facebook Live is still going during the break. And the, pers- <laughs> the persona changes again. So, totally. Yeah. It's, yep. it's an interesting observation.
2: Yeah. I mean, there is a, I don't know, an identity that takes over. And it's not the person's own identity. And they get introverted. And they realize, oh, my God, I'm being listened to, watched. I got cameras on me. There's nothing that handles that greater than practice, 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 practice. I am a proponent of repetition. And when somebody comes to see me to get coached, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it is repetition skill building. You cannot build skill without drilling. Drill for skill. That's my slogan. You drill for skill. This is what's done in in sports. It's done in the performing arts. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Let's see that play again, or let's see that scene again. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Take sixteen. Take seventeen. That's what it takes. You see, that's why training is so important. That's why getting trained and getting coached. I'm not. I'm not sitting here sounding my own whistle here. Mm-hmm. I'm saying it takes. It's very, very important that you have the regimen and the training where it becomes so second nature and natural that it's effortless and you don't have to think about
1: it. Joe, can you share with us, kind of as we're working towards a close here, um, you've been working with people one-on-one through coaching them for quite some time. I believe it was in the ballpark of 30 years, but I could be off on my um, assumption there. Can you maybe share uh, one of the stories of transformation that's been most meaningful to you in, in having that person Transform and be able to increase results in whatever their their venue was. Maybe it was their business that they were trying to grow, or their personal life. Can you share? Something? Well, this I,
2: I have. While well, you said that, I one came to mind, and this is this is why it's so important to uh, for me. The, the where I get gratification from is the application of how um, uh, uh, a client will take what I'm teaching. And make a huge difference in their company or industry. And this gentleman happened to be uh, a very top executive at. Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you the name of the company without telling you the name. Uh, Hewlett Packard.
1: <laughs>
2: and he 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 became the chief technology officer during my coaching with him. And mm-hmm. uh, he is now he is now the chief transformational officer. Wow. Right. For a reason, he did my program, and I have a, a letter from him talking about how technologists really do not understand how to communicate to the real world. <laughs> and he's mm-hmm. right; any technologist will tell you that they're very algorithmic and linear in their thinking. And what he did and recognized the importance of leadership and the and the and the value of communicating and speaking, he designed an internal. Video conferencing tool software program that they use, and now it's connecting them to everyone all over the world. In other words, in other words, they didn't know who they were talking to, it was a function, it was a person that represented a function that needed to solve a problem from a team basis. Well, this video conferencing tool told uh, it put them around, it, it, it could put them around any kind of environment, it could be a fireplace with a nice boardroom or it could be a you know an outdoor setting with picnic tables around a lake who knows but there they are virtually okay mm-hmm. but they're live they're live and they all know their families how many kids they have their names their favorite foods where they like to travel who that the, the, what was the last book they read i mean it raised so much rapport and, rela- and communication was going like mad because he opened the door to it. He said, "We can't. We're getting our work done better." It transformed. He became the chief transformational officer, <laughs> right? Wow. And now he's solving problems in his area that other business units are having tough times with. But he's the he's the go-to guy. Yeah, I'd be happy to introduce that's him to you to excellent Thank you. But that's communication. But that's communication for you. That's what communication does.
1: And that's the transformation as well of. I'm hearing personalizing and really understanding who is this audience and and having a connection with them instead of just trying to say, oh, how am I going to communicate something that's important to me, but really having that connection and rapport. Yeah. So I know that you have um, something that you would like to give away to our listeners. There's a, um, a guide that they can download. I'd love for you to share that. And then if somebody is interested in reaching out to you, please share with our audience what it is that you offer to them and what you can help them with.
2: Well, I'm going to go above and beyond here. I'm going to offer them an online or by phone, or if you're local to the Tampa Bay area an in-person free consultation, free coaching and, uh, or critique of your next presentation. And I'll be happy to do that. And if you go to um, nofearspeaking.com, you can go to either website, by the way, there's nofearspeaking.com, which is the title of the book, or prestigeleader.com, which is the website for our company. On both home pages, you can download a free no Fear, 30 no-fear speaking tips. You can download that for free and uh, just pop your email address in there and you can download it right there. And uh, I will I'll make this offer those listening to to uh, to go to that no fear speaking tips form, fill it out and let us know that you're interested in some complimentary coaching and be happy to uh, to do that for you.
1: And I have to say, um, you are fabulous at that. I I love the 30 no fear speaking tips. It's a wonderful guide. And I put my phone number in there and there was something that had you reach out to me for that concert conversation um, as a result of putting my phone number in in that list. And so
2: I didn't know that. That's great. That's cool. Yes. And
1: it's excellent to just see that you are looking to provide that value in the world. And I am just so thankful for what you were able to do for me. And then also doing for anyone who is listening.
2: Well, you're so very welcome and it's my pleasure and it's my purpose to do so. So thank you.
1: That's excellent. Well, Joe, we will also make sure that all of your contact information with the websites and the links are in the show notes of this podcast as well. So you can go ahead and grab those. And as we're closing, if this is you, if if you as a business owner are looking for a way to improve your speaking and your ability to resonate and connect with your audience and have true change and impact happen, I really encourage you to sign up for that No Fear Speaking tips and also get that free consultation and take that next step to becoming a better leader, a better influencer, and really increase your ability to make a difference in the world. Now, on the money side of your life, if you would like to create a comprehensive strategy to keep in control more of the money you already make, contact us for a free financial picture conversation. And we'll help you to find the areas that money is flowing out of your life and get more flowing back into your life so you can retain and utilize more and have more to pass on to future generations. So again, today's show notes and resources will be at themoneyadvantage.com. And special thanks to you, our guest, Joe Yazbek, today.
2: Thank you. Thanks, Joe. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure.
1: Excellent. And thank you also to our listeners. In closing, remember success leaves clues. So follow the successful few, not the crowd and build a life and business you love. To learn how high-performing entrepreneurs 10x or more returns on liquid capital without giving up quick access to cash, go to themoneyadvantage.com forward slash liquid capital to get the unfair advantage, your 20-minute easy-to-read guide on maximizing your savings.
0: Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast.